My name is Nathan Forster, and I'm asking the big questions of authors and activists, scholars and survivors, poets and priests, therapists and theologians, and everyone in between. This will be a resource for people who, deep in their bones, think, surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we have sometimes put it in. And what better way to discover this than by learning people's stories and their specialities, in order that we may deepen and widen our perspective on faith, community, society, and life. So, journey with me as we go deeper and wider. In this week's episode, we talk with Karina Kruminski on urban mission and urban spirituality. Reverend Dr. Karina Kruminski has worked in the fields of English teaching and journalism and has also been a senior minister in the church. She has a doctorate in missional formation, teaches at Morling College in Sydney, and also writes and blogs about spirituality, mission, and theology. Karina has also authored a book called Urban Spirituality, Embodying God's Mission in the Neighbourhood. She loves forming people for leadership and speaks regularly at churches and conferences on neighbourhood and community mission and activism. Her and her husband live in Surrey Hills, an inner city village in Sydney, where they are committed to loving their local neighbourhood and seeing it flourish, working with the neighbourhood to bring about peace, justice and mercy in the ecology of the neighbourhood through spirit-inspired relationships and initiatives. Here now is this week's episode with Karina Kruminski. So tell our listeners about your early encounters with Christian faith. So I grew up, um, I think, with a bit of a a legalistic view um, of God. So, you know, if you did the right thing, um, Mm. God was happy with you. Um, If you did the wrong thing, God was upset with you. And so it was this constant um, sort of journey of managing God. Um, Mm. So you tried to do the right things, like read the Bible and go to church and um, not swear. And, I mean, I went to a school that was kind of legalistic in in that way as well. You know, we had to uh, wear our uniforms a certain length and (laughs) that kind of thing. Yeah, right. um, Okay. And so, you know, and that I just felt like doing all those things made God happy. And, and then when I didn't do those things or when I did the wrong thing, um, God was upset with me. And so it was um, quite a, kind of a restri- restrictive view of God. Didn't really get grace very much. And then um, the sort of biggest encounter I had with God was um, sort of in my early 20s when um, I was just reading through Romans and I can't actually even remember which chapter it was or anything like that, but I'm just reading through Romans and um, for some reason I just finally understood grace. Mm. And so everything sort of turned upside down for me. And I got this picture that, you know, my whole life I'd been trying to reach up to God Mm. um, and sort of climb climb my way up to God in this ladder of success or failure. Mm. And um, that flipped for me and I saw God reach down to me. And there was nothing that I could do to reach up to him. And so he reached down to me and when he reached down to me, he gave me a gift and that was the gift of of Jesus. And so Mm. um, it was um, a very humbling thing. I finally sort of 
saw how it all how this Christian thing worked um, in reality. Even though I'd been brought up in a Christian family and went to a Christian school and went to church and all of that, um, my perception was was quite legalistic. And so, yeah, that turned everything um, upside down for me. And I still remember sitting. I was sitting down in a shopping centre when all of that happened, and I still remember feeling like um, I'd been given this gift. Wow. Um, and I felt kind of quite different. Um, actually. Um, and so that was the, the, the experience that I remember having that was quite strong, that was very impactful for me. And now that I look back, I can see that there mm. were sort of snippets of grace mm. in my life before that as well through um, people that God um, helped me to connect with, um, perhaps things that I was reading, but I didn't quite ever get grace mm. until that, that moment um, in, my, in my early 20s. Yeah, wow. That's that must have been an incredible life-changing experience for your life, the trajectory going forward, going forward from there. Yeah, it really was because um the first thing I thought was, well, you know, if this is so good, um why doesn't every everybody know about this? Mm. Um and that's the first thing I wanted to do. That was sort of a, I sort of received a call then um to tell people about Jesus because um if this was so good, I, I mm. didn't understand how others weren't sort of, um, you know, they didn't um, have this or they didn't even talk about it because I was actually living in another country back then. I was living in Argentina and um, none of my friends were very secular. They were very humanistic, very cultured, very, very much in the arts world and nobody ever talked about God and they certainly didn't talk about Jesus. Mm. And so I just thought, I just can't believe this, you know, I've received this incredible gift and, you know, people aren't talking about it or they don't get it. And maybe their view of church and Christianity is like the one that I had, which is quite legalistic. And so, of course, if you've got that view or that experience, it's boring and horrible yeah, <laughs> and quite yeah. oppressive, actually. And so mm. um, the first thing I wanted to do um, was, yeah, to share my experience and, um, and talk to people about this gift. Mm, and then, yeah, it definitely sounds like in that process, give people a, a different view of Jesus, a different view of the church than perhaps what their perception was by the sounds of it. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. And, and I think it was um, because when I started talking about it um, with people, they sort of gave me this hint that they'd never heard of um, such things. And I thought, but everybody's heard about God. Everybody's heard about Jesus. And but I just think that they see it perhaps modelled through the institutional church in a way that sometimes um, mm. can be damaging. Yeah, wow. And, and speaking of kind of the institutional church and perhaps kind of your, your journey and your growth that um, – of where God's taken you. In today's episode, I do want to draw that particular focus on the work that you're currently doing in, in Surrey Hills, or what some have called urban mission. Not sure how what you would call it. So, uh, but yeah, as you grew in faith, what were some of the key turning points for your faith that eventually landed you to where you are now? Um, I started doing um, a doctorate, um, and when I uh, first started doing this doctorate, my question was. Um, why don't people change? Why aren't we seeing uh, Christians changing as much as we would want to? Um, but it actually ended up turning into uh, why aren't we 
changing in the sense of becoming more outward oriented and connected to our world? Why are we so inward oriented mm -hmm. as Christians? Um, and so I ended up doing a doctorate around um, the concept of being missional. Um, so thinking about as a Christian, what it looks like to reorient from looking at um, our personal relationship with God mm. and um, the, the church and how the church can grow and improve itself, for example, to how can the church face outwards and connect with the community in mm. which it's placed. And so when I started um, doing that, like things really changed um, for me. And, and actually that reminded me of my, um, my first call. My first call was to um, share with people mm. about Jesus. But I'd started working in the church. And when you, you get involved in ministry, I don't know if anybody else has experienced this, but when you get involved in ministry in a pretty in, intense sort of way, um, you get caught up in the mechanics of the church. Yeah, and it right. starts being all about the church. And what you end up doing in ministry is you end up taking care of Christians, which is um, fine. We, we do need that pastoral care and that nurturing of one another without a doubt. But I think that our primary call as Christians is to orient outwards and um, look to the world in the way that God loved the world and sent his son into the world. We are to do exactly the same thing. That's our priority. Mm. Um, I don't think our priority is the church. I, I think our priority is the world. Mm. And so, um, yeah, that, that's actually the feeling that I had very initially when I shared with you about that call that God placed on my life, but I got caught up in the mechanics of the church and doing this doctorate actually helped reorient me back to my call um, mm. and made me go, hang on, <laughs> what am I doing here? Um, I, I don't feel called just to take care of Christians. Um, I feel called to tell people about God, share with people about God, however um, that happens. And mm. so that was a um, real shift for me and I ended up um, leaving my role as a senior pastor um, of a church. And um, when I did that, I, I started getting more active outside the church, I began to see God wasn't just in the church, God was everywhere. Mm. And I could see snippets of the move of his spirit in all sorts um, mm. of places that I probably wouldn't have seen um, before. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I remember when I shared some of this with the church where I was ministering, um, it was a really great church and I enjoyed my time there, but it was quite difficult to um, get people to or help people to make that shift to think more about what's going on outside the church rather than um, what's going on in um, the church. So we were constantly asking the question, God, what are you doing in the church? How do we discern what God is up to in the church? And I was trying to get them to think, God, what are you doing in the neighbourhood? What are you doing mm. in the community? What are you doing in the world? And that's our priority and that's what we need to be discerning. Um, but that, that was, yes, was difficult to do. Mm. Um, and that's why I ended up um, leaving and just just um, starting up what I do here in, in Surrey Hills. Yeah, I mean, and that's a, that's a huge shift as well, going from kind of a senior pastor role to, to I imagine, the role that you're doing, doing now as well. Mm, it was a huge shift, actually, um, because um, being a pastor of a church, even though um, it's a really, really difficult job, um, you, you know what you're doing in the sense that you know what your role is, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. You're given this role, you're given this, um, you know, um, affirmation by your denomination, for example. You're affirmed by the church. It's a very, very sort of set role that you have. Um, whereas what I'm doing now, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think, what am I actually doing here? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what, what's going on? What am I, what am I doing? Um, it's a little bit more vague and, and that can be a bit uncomfortable um, sometimes. 
Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned before as well that as you started to kind of shift your focus towards the neighborhood, and whereas others were more concerned about what was God was doing in the church, you were more concerned about what God was doing in the neighborhood. I mean, it sounds like there's obviously a subtle shift there as well of not only emphasis, but also kind of a, a belief about believing that God is kind of working in the world. So I guess my question is, what were some of the kind of the belief changes that you had during this time as you started to to discern an understanding of of what it means to be missional. Yeah, so one core shift for me was um, discerning God in the everyday. Mm. Um, so instead of sort of compartmentalizing my faith, um, which I think sometimes happens with um, Christianity, we sort of mm. um, engage in this faith, faith while we are with Christians or in, in the church, for example, in the gathered church. Um, and then when we leave that space, we're not quite sure where we can find God. Um, we're not quite sure where God is in the workplace, for example, or where God is in um, our learning environment, in schools, or where God is in the neighbourhood. Um, and I find that a lot of um, Christians do compartmentalise their faith um, in that way. Mm. I remember one person um, once saying to me that he, he was working actually for um, a really big bank and he, he was telling me that it was a very cutthroat sort of environment and he'd say to me that, you know, Karina, I go to church and you preach about the Beatitudes and love your enemies and all these radical things that Jesus said and that's fine. I can do that in church and I can do that in my home because we're all Christians, but I can't live that way in my workplace because it's a really cutthroat environment in this bank. I actually need to be competitive in order to thrive. And he was just telling me and wrestling, and I was really grateful for his honesty, that he was just wrestling with how he can be authentic, how he can be an integrated sort of person um, with his Christian faith. And I think that's something that um, a lot of Christians struggle with, and I, I definitely mm. had that. And so now I try to think, well, how can I be a follower of Jesus in all of my life, in, in wherever I am, whether I'm at church or whether I'm in the neighbourhood or whether I'm in a workspace or a learning environment, um, you know, out um, in the shopping centre, whatever it might be, mm. um, what does it actually look like to have an integrated faith in those spaces? Um, so not just to, you know, run home, do a Bible study, have a quiet devotional time for, you know, 10 minutes and that that's my spiritual stuff done for the day, but how do I incorporate that in my whole um, mm. life? So that was a really huge shift for me and it actually made me feel... Um, less burdened as a Christian. It, it, you know, um, following Jesus now wasn't this sense of, well, this is what I have to do now. Mm. Um, but it was more like, this is my life. This is who I am. It was more about being a child of God, mm. um, walking in, in this faith. So that was a huge shift for me. Mm. And another huge shift for me um, was, you know, being grounded in, in the stuff of life. I think we've got this sort of... Um, kind of like a, a hidden Gnosticism in, um, in Christianity where we, we prize the um, spirit above matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we're, not sure. <laughs> we're not quite sure what to do with the flesh or we're not quite sure what to do with, um, you know, the, the physical environment. Yeah. Yeah, we, we can see God in the spiritual realm, but we're not quite sure where he is in the physical stuff. And we're kind of a bit 
um, cautious about physical things and cautious about the flesh. And even sometimes we denigrate um, the flesh. Um, but the flesh is good. God, God um, made us and um, God mm, came as a human right. being and therefore made all things, all things, physical things, sacred. Mm. And so, um, you know, that was a, a big shift for me as well. And it made me start looking at, um, at my body, at my environment, mm. at the buildings that are around me, at the public space in the um, at the public spaces in my neighbourhood. And I think, well, what does God have to say about these spaces? What does He have to say about that building? What does He have mm. to say about that artwork? What mm. does He have to say about my body? And you know, should I be more careful of how I treat my body and be less addicted to work, for example, and just mm. slow down because that's what God wants me to do. God loves me more than He loves what I do for Him. You mm. know. All those things I think yeah. come into play when we um, when we prize the spirit um, mm. over matter, and so yeah, that that shifted for me. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of sometimes I often say to people that spiritual is not synonymous of immaterial, but actually, but actually, yeah, if God made this world, um, yeah, to take to take place seriously and 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 matter seriously, those are really important things by the sounds of it. Yeah, that's right, and um, and you know, it, it depends on your um, eschatology as well. Mm. You know, what do you believe that's going to happen at the end of all things? Mm. Do you think that um, everything's going to be you know burnt up and we start afresh, or will some things continue into um, the restored heavens and earth mm. um, at the return of Christ? And I mean, I believe a lot of things will continue, a lot of things will stay, but they'll be restored and they'll mm. be redeemed. And so we need to look after the stuff that is around us um, and, you know, um, who was it? Was it Martin Luther or somebody that said, you know, if I knew that everything was going to end tomorrow, what would I do today? I'd plant a tree, mm. um, you know, with that belief that um, whatever we do today has some impact not only in the present but also will last into the future. Um, mm. And, of course, the Apostle Paul talks about that in, in 1 Corinthians where mm. you've got that sense of, you know, there's a discontinuity at the end of all things but there's also a continuity as well with our bodies mm. and with our physical environment. So I often, you know, sit in my unit and look out over Surrey Hills. I've got this great view and I think, what's going to last? Mm. You know, what, what am I going to see in the restored heavens and earth um, that's still going to be a part of <laughs> Surrey Hills? Wow, you know, wow. And, yeah, it sort of messes with my brain quite a bit um, thinking that way, but I think it's helpful um, to do because otherwise you end up over-spiritualising um, the end of all things and, you know, you end up, you know, to one extreme, you know, this might be a bit extreme, but you end up thinking, um, you know, we're going to be like these, you know, immaterial beings sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really cliche. Um which is not true, you know. We're gonna we're gonna be very much grounded in the stuff of life. Yes, that's right. Yes, how 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 our ends informs the here and the now, because yeah, because if it is about a restored Surrey Hills, then then I imagine that would kind of affect then how you kind of live, move, and have you been towards kind of where all things are headed. Then you know, so that's a much more exciting vision. Uh, yeah. So then perhaps before going any further, I was wondering if perhaps more broadly you could explain what exactly Urban Mission is and then more specifically what that looks like for Surrey Hills. So, um, again, connected to what we've just been talking about, often when Christians think about um, spirituality, um, you know, we think of escaping from the world. Um, so, you know, if you often 
if you pick up a book on Christian spirituality at a Christian bookshop, the front cover will typically have a picture of the mountains or the mm. ocean or, you know, something something around nature, but it will it would never really have a picture of um the city on it. So true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't think the city is spiritual or the city's messy or chaotic. Um, and so we're not quite sure again where you can find God in that mess. Certainly you can find God when you're looking at a beautiful calm ocean or um, you're in the mountains and you can reflect and but what do we do with God in the city? Mm. And so um and so, uh, yeah, that's the essence of urban spirituality um, for me, um, which informs urban mission. Mm. How do we um, find God in the city, in the chaos of the city and in the mess um, of the city? And, you know, it can kind of inform a bit more of a um, spirituality of chaos rather than a spirituality of peace, which I think is just as valid. You know, often our spirituality is about calm, reflection, moving inwards, uh, and which is necessary. And I, I do that. I practice that kind of meditation myself. Hmm. But then what does a chaotic spirituality look like hmm. where things are messy and turned around and upset and um, a little bit more complex? Um, God is in that. Uh, as well, and often you know the spirit does lead us and push us out into those <laughs> chaotic spaces mm. in order to form us and shape us for the new things that are coming. You know, when Jesus was sent out into the um, the desert for his temptation time, um, the spirit did that. It wasn't the devil that sent him out there; the spirit pushed him out. Into yeah, the and so the spirit can do that. The spirit can send us out into really uncomfortable places, and and often it's to do with mission. It's to do with connecting with this world and and um, sharing um, our faith in this in this messy world mm. um, and often spirit does that in order to shape us and form us to, um, into something um, new that God is creating and so urban mission for me is is about thinking that through you know what is a spirituality that is a bit more I don't know a bit more messy what does that yeah. look like yeah. Um, in in the space of the urban um, context, um, what are the disciplines that we need to engage in in that kind of context, and how do we connect with people in that kind of context? And so, you know, you can also think about some of those spiritual disciplines that might foster mm. that kind of urban um, spirituality. So, one thing that I like to do here is um, go around for a walk in the neighbourhood, mm. and um, and with my eyes open, um, I pray. And and, you know, that's contrary to shutting yourself in a room quietly, closing your eyes and mm. praying. You're out there on the streets and you're looking at what God is putting before you. You're looking at the spaces that are around you and the people who are around you and the signs of life and the signs of death and the signs of hope and the signs of violence and, you know, mm. what are the signs of God and what are the signs of the things that are contra to God in that mm. space. And then you ask God to help you pray um, about those things and that helps you get grounded and connected wow. to your face as well. Yes. Um, so, so that's one practice that's really helpful for me in this kind of context. Yes. Um, in the urban context, yeah. Yeah, that's an incredible practice because often we do associate prayer as kind of having that closed eyes, almost an escapism in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, and we do that with Bible reading as well. So um, one thing that I like to do is read passages of Scripture sitting in a public space. So mm. I'll pick a passage of Scripture and I'll just read it quietly to myself when I'm sitting in a park here in Surrey Hills or even in a cafe. Mm. And then I look up and I think, well, how does this passage relate to my context around me? 
Mm. What, what would God be saying through this passage of Scripture to these people, to this context? And, again, that, that's contrary to, again, going into your room, closing the door, reading Scripture and saying, God, how does this apply to my life? How are you going to encourage me today? Which is fine to do, but, again, how do we practice something a bit more missional? Mm. We reorient outwards and we go, hang on, what does this say to the people around me and my context mm. um, around me? So that I found that pretty helpful too. Yeah, no, it's 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 really incredible to to think about it like that. Yeah, because often it is when we do those spiritual practices. You mentioned it before. We associate with a quiet place or going into nature, which, as you've pointed out, all good things. But certainly, kind of taking seriously where we find ourselves in and and integrating our spirituality with the urban environment. So it sounds like having that urban spirituality then informs that understand urban mission would i be correct in in saying it like that yeah absolutely i think um what we've just been talking about the way that god was speaking to me and reorienting me informed my practice um so informed um what i was doing in terms of mission Mm. uh, in this context and so yeah it was a real quite a profound um reorientation uh, for me and it you know it was um it was a theology that was uh, that came through for me that was contextual. So I was reading about this stuff, for example, in my doctorate and in other bits and pieces, through other bits and pieces here and there, but uh, I was also, you know, placed in this context and living it out. Mm. And so the theology that came through for me was very contextual. Um, It wasn't just through reading, Mm. but it was through practice um, as well. Mm. And in terms of Surrey Hills, this might be a bit of a large question. You don't have to give a, a overall assessment um, that's or comprehensive assessment of things, but certainly what are the one or two things that as you look out over Surrey Hills that you see that God is doing in Surrey Hills or what perhaps God wants to do in Surrey Hills? So Surrey Hills is a very um, typically inner city um, suburb. Um, so it's very, very secular um it has a very high proportion of the lgtbqi community mm-hmm. um and uh lots of people in public housing uh as well um and people are very progressive here um they're very much to their left to the left mm-hmm. in their politics um they really care about the environment they care about their place um and they are very, very sceptical, very um, cynical about the church. Um, so I remember when I first moved in, I wasn't really telling people that I was a Christian and certainly wasn't telling people that I was a minister um, before I got to know them well and shared with them, you know, that I was here in this context to simply serve um, and just get connected to the community and see how I could participate with what the community is already doing. Um, And so, yeah, it's a really um, typical sort of urban space in in that sense, Um, in you know, when you think about Western culture and how mm. secular it is now, um, it's very typical um, in that sense. And people are pretty sophisticated. They're fairly urbane um, in that sense. And so as a result, you know, you get people 
being very um, skeptical about Christianity but very open to spiritual things. Mm. Um, so people are genuinely questioning, you know, what life is all about. Um, I run this, well, I used to run this uh, course in the neighbourhood centre, the local neighbourhood centre called the Happiness Lab. Mm. And um, it was basically like a six-week course where we talked about um, what it means to live a life that is flourishing. And, um, yeah, it's we ran it quite a few times and it was incredible. You know, nobody there was a Christian. Mm. Um but they were all people who were searching, people who wanted to know what it means to live a good life, mm. what it means to live a flourishing life. And we covered topics like forgiveness and gratitude and kindness and mindfulness mm. um, and self-care and relationships and resilience and all of those things. And, you know, it just made me realise people are deeply, deeply spiritual mm. and um, God is at work in their lives without a doubt. Mm. And what my role is... Um, is to point out to people where God could perhaps be speaking to them mm. or where God could perhaps be at work in their lives. Um, and they might not necessarily see it that way, but it's just, you know, I think that's my role. It's not really to do mission on people or to, you know, bring God to them. In a sense, mm. God is already at work in their lives mm. because they're hungry for spiritual things. You know, everybody's got that, um, that hunger for, for something more. Um, than mm. they can perceive in this life. And they, a lot of them won't name it to be God, but there's something more. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, for me, it's a matter of just picking up on that and saying, oh, do you think that might be God saying something? Oh, have you ever thought that God might be speaking? And sometimes people will go, why would God speak to me? You know, why, why would God be interested? Or, you know, I know that God's in the church down the road there, but um, I'm sure, you know, God shows up there, but why would he, why would he even talk to me? And it's really interesting um, talking with people about that because that's often the first reaction. Why, yeah, right. Why? <laughs> why would he talk to me? Like, well, because God is love and he's continually reaching mm. out to us. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, there's heaps of connection points, I feel, here in Surrey Hills in that respect, even though, like I said, it's a really secular place and um, people are very um, guarded about the church mm. and um, not, not really interested in going to church. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of people um, have been hurt and marginalised uh, by mm. the church as well. Mm. It sounds like that you're almost attempting to discern what the Spirit's doing in Surrey Hills already and almost kind of discern the contours of people's hearts, of the of the community. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul almost speaking in, I think it's, I think it's in the book of Acts. I, th I think it's Acts 17 um, when he's in Athens and he's kind of discerning what's going on around him and, and kind of speaks into, into that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, that's a real shift, isn't it? Um, mm. Instead of thinking, well, Surrey Hills is this really dark place and um, I'm going to bring God to this, to this neighbourhood um, or I'm going to plant a church and so that will be a little God space, a little sacred space, so that this, you know, dark context um, can come into the light. Um, we don't want to polarise things like that because the fact is that um, 
Absolutely. The church is salt and light in this world, um, but God is active outside the church. And mm. so what we need to do is discern that, discern the activity of the spirit and then connect with that, help people understand. Don't use Christian jargon, but help um, people understand um, how God could possibly be interested in them. Um, and, and, yeah, learn about the beauty of God and um, the love um, of God. It is, it is there. And people, yeah, they do need to hear a refreshing, I think, view of, of who Jesus is and who the church is. And that, that might come later on the journey. Mm. Now, you mentioned before something about the Neighbourhood Hub. Could you tell, tell us a bit more about that? About um, the Surrey Hills Neighbourhood Centre? Yeah, sorry, the Surrey Hills Neighbourhood Centre, yeah. So that's been here for um, many, many decades um, and it's quite a hub in Surrey Hills. Uh, it's a place where people can come and take cl computer classes, English classes, Tai Chi classes. Um, there are dancing lessons there. Um, it's also a space where, you know, if you don't have a place where you can um, take a shower, you can go there and um, take a shower and um, get cleaned up. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a resource for this uh, community. And there are some great people um, that work there that... Um, uh, we have a, a cafe there on a first Saturday of the month um, where food is reasonably priced and all the community can come in and connect with one another and the person who runs that is amazing. He's very, very hospitable and really well-known community member. Um, we run the uh, Surrey Hills Markets uh, as well and that happens once a month. Um, so I'm on the board there. Um, mm. And I, I chair um, that board. And so I've been there for about um, three years now. And it's just my way of serving in the community. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's something, you know, I'd encourage uh, all Christians to do in their neighbourhood that, you know, why not instead of becoming a deacon or an elder, why don't you become a, a member of the board of the local neighbourhood centre? Mm. Uh, and in that way, you know, you get to know what's actually going on um, in the neighbourhood and you get to um, serve and use your gifts outside um, of the church context and bless the community um, mm. in that way. It um, doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a, a, you know, somebody who's at work in the church, but just how about, you know, stepping out of that context and seeing, you know, what are the possibilities of volunteering and serving um, in your neighbourhood? It's a great way to just find out what's going on and just connect mm. um, people and make genuine friendships. Mm. Oh, I like that quite a bit, actually. So in the ways you have engaged in loving your neighbour in Surrey Hills, what have been some of the pushback you've received from both the church world and also outside the church world? Um, I think most people are quite interested in, in what I do. Um, That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so people who aren't Christians, um, sometimes they do wonder, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I remember when my book on urban spirituality came out, one of my friends here in the neighbourhood who's not a Christian um, said to me, so I've read your book. And I said, yes. And she said, so are you a missionary here in Surrey Hills? And I said, I thought, oh, no, because, you know, missionary for people who aren't Christians can have a really negative, oppressive connotation. Mm. And I said, um, well, what I'm doing is just connecting in this neighbourhood and loving people. Um, and you might see that as missionary work. And she said, oh, so does that mean that you want to convert people? Um, 
And I really had to think about that. You know, what is my aim here? Is my aim to convert people? And she said, Are you, would you get upset if you don't see any conversions here in Surrey Hills? <laughs> it was so funny to be having this conversation with yeah, her. Yeah, wow. And, and she's a good friend. She wasn't being horrible. She was just genuinely asking me. And she knew all the language as well from, I guess, from, you know, um, reading my book and um, connecting in the past with other Christians. And I said to her, um, no, I don't think I'm here to convert. I'm here to love the neighbourhood. And if people ask me why I'm doing what I'm doing, then I'll tell them. Um, the reason is um, because I follow um, Jesus and this is what Jesus is like and I'm imitating um, mm. Jesus. And Jesus for me is somebody of beauty and love and justice and worthy of being um, imitated and followed. Um, and so, you know, it was a really good um, conversation. But sometimes I do get that kind of um, uh, that, that kind of questioning. And sometimes it's friendly. Sometimes it's a little bit um, more suspicious. Mm. Um, but generally, you know, if you don't have an agenda, if you're really just there to love and to serve, mm. um, people are okay um, with that. They feel safe um, mm. with you. Um, and from, from Christians, again, um, people are generally interested in what I do and they think what I'm doing here is, is good, but they often do move down that line of asking me, well, have you seen any conversions or have you started a church yet? So the goal for most Christians in, a context, in the context of what I'm doing would be conversions Right. Or starting a church, and if you if you haven't achieved those two things, then you're not really doing anything. Um, and that's that's really interesting because uh, it's almost as if loving the neighbourhood, loving people, serving in the neighbourhood, and um, helping the neighbourhood to be a place that is flourishing and full of justice and kindness and mercy. It's almost as if that's not good in and of itself. Um, if you don't have follow-up conversions or a church, then you're really not doing very much. And, again, that links into that um, Gnosticism that we mm. were talking about before, yeah. that sense that the spiritual is more important than the actual physical stuff. Mm. So, um, you know, coming alongside of people and um, helping them build something or helping in a neighbourhood centre mm. or feeding pe people who are marginalised, that's not as, it's good, it's worthy, but it's not as important as um, saving their souls or um, planting a church, for example. Um, like, and also, you know, while I don't want to sort of polarise those two things too much, I still can see that in a lot of um, Christian thinking. And we mm. need to sort of, again, recapture this biblical notion that, um, you know, God's uh, purpose in this world is for shalom. That's right. For peace. It's for justice. It's for kindness. It's for wholeness. Yeah. And that is his goal. Um, his goal is to bring this whole earth under that beautiful picture of mm. uh, shalom, of mm. absolute wholeness. Um, and we are at work with God to make that happen. And, of course, it includes telling people about Jesus. Um, and it's a, a key part, but it's one part. And, and we can't marginalise that aspect, which is, um, you know, nurturing our environment, um, caring for the climate, for example, mm. Um, mm. coming alongside those who are marginalised and who are very, very different um, to us. Those things are, are crucial for building um, shalom and very much a godly goal um, mm. as well. Mm. And so that's, I think that's the main sort of um, 
resistance and pushback that I hear from from Christians when I tell them um, what I'm doing. Mm. And it sounds like in the process, you're just in your responses are telling people about a more holistic understanding of the gospel or what it means to be a representative of Jesus in the community and in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My husband and I have actually started um, a um, mission called Neighbourhood Matters. And um, we we do teach people about this kind of thing. Um, Next year, we'll be running an urban internship um, just down the road and at another inner city suburb called um, Woolloomooloo. And we also have something that we call formation huddles that we run every two months with just eight or eight to ten people, Christians, who are thinking through this mm. kind of shift in theology. And um, you call them formation huddles because it's all about, you know, who are we becoming as followers of Jesus in the context of our communities, in the context of our neighbourhoods. And so we teach um, this kind of thing um, as well because we believe it, it really is important. Mm, mm. And perhaps just turning to scripture, I know you've already touched on a lot of scripture, but I'm just wondering if as we look in scripture, where would you turn to draw out this urban approach to missions? Um, one thing that's really stood out to me recently is um, Matthew 5.16, where Jesus says that we are the salt of the world and we are the light of the world. Um, and it says there, you know, let your, let your good deeds shine. Um, and ultimately, when we do that, it says that it glorifies the Father. Um, and I find that really interesting because I think Christians have marginalised good deeds in the past. Mm. We actually don't really like the word good even because we're constantly told that we're bad. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, even using the word good or saying good deeds has sometimes negative connotations for Christians. But here we see that example that um, good deeds, somehow when we do good deeds, it glorifies the Father. Mm. Um, And so we need to take that seriously, that when we're at work in the neighbourhood, whatever we're doing, you know, we're we're building this kingdom, um, reign of God culture or kingdom of God culture Mm. in the neighbourhood. And people notice that when we're working with them to build that place of justice and light and peace and mercy and beauty. Um, God is glorified. The Father is glorified somehow through that. And so that's that's really stood out for me lately, that we shouldn't marginalise good deeds. It's important to be seen as a good person or to be doing good deeds. That mm. glorifies the Father. And mm. so that's really something for me that stands out in terms of um, applying scripture to urban mission. And then, um, you know, Jeremiah 29.7 talks mm. about seeking the welfare of the city. That's right. Wherever you're placed, Um Seek the welfare of where you're living. Pray for this for this place. Um, build houses and, you know, make sure that it's a place that flourishes because mm. you, you flourish as well. But just in and of itself, it can be a place that is really flourishing. Um, and so, yes, yeah, seek the welfare um, of the city. Mm. Um, and then Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, um, do it in the name of the Lord. Um, so whatever we're doing, whether we're speaking about Jesus or whether we're embodying the presence and the love of God in our neighbourhoods, we're doing it um, in the name of Jesus. Um, and that's, for me, um, you know, the, the, the switch, I guess. Mm. You, you're engaging in all these good deeds and eventually people will ask you, why, why are you doing this or 
you know, there's something people will ask you some kind of questions and that's where you can say it's in the name of Jesus. I mean, you're not going to phrase it that way, but basically the concept is this is mm. in the name of Jesus. It's through um, this person called Jesus that, that I do this. Mm. He's my, um, you know, the person I imitate and the person that I follow. Mm. And it sounds like much more of a comprehensive understanding of what it means to be a witness. Because often we think of that word witness as very Bible bashing or very kind of like strong armed. Whereas and I've said this before in another episode with another person I've interviewed. It's if we think of witnesses like, you know, if birds are singing in a tree, they're not trying to force their song on people. They're just being birds. And there's and there's just something beautiful you can observe in that. It's not a it's not a a violent witness. It's not a force to witness. It's it's being a particular type of person in the world that kind of draws that draws people's attention. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I really love that. It's about um yeah embodying uh, the mm. love of God. And again, you know we've we've split embodiment from proclamation, mm. and we've we've highlighted proclamation. As long as we're proclaiming the word of God, then that's the most important thing. But there's a well-known um, missiologist, Daryl Gouda, that says that the gospel must never be separated from embodiment. Um, it's never the gospel is never the gospel just when it's proclaimed or just um, when it's rehearsed in a creed. It has to be embodied in the mm. Christian community so that the world looks at that embodied community and says, "All oh, right, like there's God." I, you know, yeah, that's right. Well, I'm not quite sure what it is, and but there it is. I can see it now. It's got to be fleshed out. Oh, big um, time! And that's and that's love. That's Christian love. It's got to right. be fleshed out. That's right. Yeah, I was, I've spoken to a friend once and she said to me, she was like, you know, imagine if you had really bad parents who like, you, they never fed you, they never helped you, they never gave you clothes, but then they kept on saying, oh, but Jesus loves you. You would just have such a skewed understanding of what it means to be loved, which means love has to be an embodied reality. I, I didn't think it can be anything other than embodied yeah, yeah, exactly. And our world, you know, has different definitions about love. It can be very romantic. All it is is about words. Um, but no, it's it's got to be it's got to be fleshed out. Mm, mm. So I imagine as time has gone on, you found yourself in Surrey Hills. It's less about being in some sort of abstract space that you're doing missions in, but rather a place that you're interwoven in. So perhaps if you can give us a brief understanding of of place um, as opposed to just merely space and what that means as a follower of Jesus. So to be um, human is to be placed. Uh, we're always in, in a context. Um, place matters uh, to God. You know, when you think about the first um, name of a place, it was Eden. You know, it's, it's been given a name. And now when we, we hear that word Eden, the Garden of Eden, we hear that, that name and we associate it with certain things, um, whatever we associate it with, but it's, it's in our imaginations, it's in our minds, we remember it. Um, and so, you know, when I say the, the name of the place, Surrey Hills, people have a certain image of it, um, of the people who live here. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very human thing. Um, to be placed. Um, when we live in a place, we create memories. Um, we uh, engage in that place. We celebrate in that place. Terrible things happen in, in those places. Those places are redeemed. Sometimes they're desecrated. You know, places matter um, to God. And this is, you know, a part of this incarnational sort of um, embodied theology that we hold. Um, when Jesus came to this 
earth he was in a particular place for a particular mm. time um he didn't just you know float around or um he didn't even travel outside of that place really it was a very limited space that he stayed in in that time got to know the people there walked the streets there his feet got dirty there you know he cried there he loved there he um danced there he drank wine there you know he created all these memories and that's that's very much a part of what it means um, mm. to be human. He didn't float around in that space. He actually was grounded. Uh, he connected with the dirt there and the people there and you know, the beauty there and um, the, the justice there and the injustices there. Mm. Um, and so that that all matters um, to God. And one, once again, this is a part of being people who um, uh, make sure that we think that matter is important to God and physical space is um, important to God. Um, it's not just this abstract notion. And so it's very important, I think, to be grounded in your neighbourhood. And it's a godly goal um, to connect with um, the people who are in that neighbourhood and get to know um, that neighbourhood and get to know the history of the space as well because that mm. speaks into the present. You know, in Surrey Hills, um, it's got this really great history of... Um, you know, in the past there were a lot of gangs here and uh, there was a lot of um, criminal activity. It was a place that had a lot of slums and a lot of stories um, and characters emerged from that. And people still tell those stories and they still um, refer to those characters um, from the past. And that's sort of still speaks into the Surrey Hills of today, even though it's quite a gentrified place now. Um, so it's always helpful, I think, doing that kind of research into um, the place um, where you live to get to know some of those stories from the past that have shaped um, the present. Um, yeah, so place matters, matters to God. Mm. And just the last question for today's interview. In light of what you see God doing in the urbanised world, what would be your hope for the church? I would want to see the church um, being less fearful about its existence Mm. Um, there's a lot of talk today about the death of the church and how the church won't survive, uh, particularly in, in the West, and the church is declining. And there's a real fear in that that's driving people to push harder in terms of, um, you know, trying to um, market the church more um, I guess just market the church more and more, you know, as long as we make our services better or we put up bigger and better signs or, um, you know, we, we find out what the community wants and as long as we do all of these things and I guess we'll survive. Um, but I would want to see um, people leaving that to God because the church will survive. God will take care of the church. What we need to do is reorient ourselves around the community, hmm. um, take the focus off of ourselves, um, die to ourselves, let God resurrect us however he wants and just focus on loving the people who are in our community and stop getting so fearful and worried about the survival of the church um, because God will take care um, of that. And um, the other thing I'd like to see with Christians is what we were talking about to see us becoming less compartmentalised, having this whole-of-life kind of discipleship. 
um, just living life freely in Christ, not in that burdened, heavy way, but in that sense that, you know, my whole life is given over to God and that's a delight and um, that's a joy and there aren't any compartments there. I'm just living my life um, mm. for God. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good. I was just pumping as you were giving that answer. So, <laughs> look, thank you so much, Karina. It's been such a delight speaking to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nathan. Well, that was this week's episode with Karina Kuminski talking about urban mission and urban spirituality. To find out more about Karina and the work that her and her husband do, then visit www.neighbourhoodmatters.com.au If you like what you listen to today, then please subscribe to this show, leave a review and share with your friends. To follow my work, find me on either Facebook at Nathan.Forster or Instagram and Twitter at Nathan underscore Forster or find me at NathanForster.com.